Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm Jacob Barr. I'm here with Lauren, and we're going to talk about sidewalk advocates, the story of reaching women from the sidewalks right next to an abortion clinic with the story of hope, of love, and of care. So Lauren, I am so glad to have you on the podcast. Um, would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a small group of pregnancy clinic directors or pro-life friends? Yes. So again, my name is Laura Muzika. I serve as president and CEO of Sidewalk Advocates for Life. Um, those who are still getting acquainted with our organization, Sidewalk Advocates for Life is America's largest sidewalk outreach organization. Um, I ensure that the organization fulfills its mission, which is to train, equip, and support people of faith and conscience who have a heart to go to the darkest place in their local community and offer mothers and fathers in crisis those loving, life-affirming alternatives. Um, just to give you a little bit of a benchmark about what God has done in the organization in the eight years that we've been around, we've witnessed nearly 18,000 women turn around and accept life-affirming resources, help, and hope. So 18,000 babies saved approximately at this point in our history. Um, we also just celebrated abortion worker number 85 who left the business with the help and witness of a sidewalk advocate. And then we are watching right in the middle of it, abortion facility number 30 closing its doors. So to God be the glory, great things he is doing. Wow. 18,000 women were 18,000 women did a U-turn? Is that what you're saying? That's right. So in our 239 locations, we asked them for a periodic report and how we define a turn away, baby say, turn around. You'll hear some of these terms used interchangeably in sidewalk outreach, right? So these are actual handoffs to a life-affirming pregnancy resource center or where a woman otherwise let us know that she was gonna be choosing life. So even the ones who leave you know, the facility maybe before the abortionist shows up or whatnot, we actually don't even count those within that statistic. We call those hopeful saves, right? So there's roughly been about 5,000 of those. And sometimes we get to move some of those folks from the hopeful category to a baby saved or turnaround, right? So yeah, so these are actual turnarounds, um, actual women who accepted that life-affirming help. Wow, and 85 employees or workers of an abortion clinic reached out or connected after leaving and and what does that look like for a worker yeah. to go from, 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 you know, from being, you know, does it, what's the process look like, you know, from beginning yeah. to end for helping a worker um, change their direction? Yeah, that's a great question. We work with former Planned Parenthood director Abby Johnson's abortion worker ministry. It's called And Then There Were None. So they're like the help and healing experts for those who want to leave the industry. Of course, Abby being one of those former workers herself, right? So she knows what that journey is like, that journey of healing. So she started the organization a handful of years ago. They've had more than 600 abortion workers leave the business, and, and we've been privileged to send them about 85. And so their big thing, the, the best advice that we've received from them is to build a relationship over time that these are folks who quite often have one or more multiple abortions in their past. It's really 
a, you know, mode of pain and justification that keeps them chained to the industry. You know, I think it's, it is understandable and even easy for us to look at individuals who work in the industry and say, how could you even begin to do that? Right. Especially if you purport to maybe be a Christian. We sometimes hear that from people who are abortion center escorts and volunteering or actually work within the organization, the, the facility itself. Um, but what we realize is that these are hurting souls, that these are people who are really in need of God's love and mercy. And so we let them know that this organization is waiting for them when they're ready to leave, that we care about them just as much as we care about the women who are walking into that facility. And then God does the rest really. So 85 that have made that leap of faith and left the abortion industry with a uh, help and witness of a sidewalk advocate. Wow. Those are, that's. 85 amazing stories of just yeah, yeah women being rescued from working in that space and then 18,000 amazing stories of helping women just yeah find care and hope over yeah over feeling like so when it comes yeah. to a woman making a u-turn um mm. what are some of the what are some of the false beliefs that have to be addressed or what are some of the uh needs that need to be addressed or what are some of the messages you might bring to someone who is um, you know, in that position and how you might draw them to look at going a different direction or a better direction? Yeah, well, we know that from right brain research, testimony, or lived experience on the sidewalk that a woman headed into the abortion facility is in a world of crisis. She's in self-preservation mode, right? She's looking at her present self and her future self, and she can't reconcile the two. And it's really the enemy who's throwing up something in her life and saying, you can't have this baby because of X, Y, and Z, right? It's almost a distraction from, again, that, that main call to uh, give life through your very being. I mean, this is the understanding of natural law that we as women are made to give life through our very being, right? Um, and so the enemy is the one that's coming in and saying, you have to have this abortion because otherwise your life will go up in smoke. Of course, we know that there's never a good reason to take the life of a child, but that's what happens when you're in crisis or self-preservation mode. You're not thinking clearly, you're overwhelmed, and you just want to get out of the trap. You just want to run, right? And so what we teach sidewalk advocates do, to do is to go in through her lens. Um, one of the things we teach in the training, for example, is that we as pro-lifers have things in the right order. God comes first, a mother puts her children before herself, so it's God, baby, mom, but a woman in crisis mode, a woman in self-preservation mode has all of that inverted. Um, she's thinking about herself first, not even necessarily meaning to, but that's what happens again when you're in crisis mode. You just want out of the situation and you know, you're pushing baby to the recesses of your mind. You're pushing God even further away because if you stop to think about what he might say about this, then you might change your mind and that and that scares her, right? She's trying to make sense of all of this. How do I continue with school? How do I put food on the table? Mom and dad are kicking me out of the house. And so we, uh, as sidewalk advocates, get a, a real privilege to go and stand in the gap. And we can say to a woman, we care about you. We love you. We've got real help for you and your situation today. So we start with mom, right? And then we might transition at some point and say, by the way, how far along are you? And then we paint a picture of life and then we can plant seeds for faith. Now, again, we know that the inverse of that is really the goal, right? We want to see women get into a relationship with God. We want to see their lives transformed by him. But, you know, it's almost like she's in a burning building and we got to go pull her out first before 
her ears and her heart are, are open to receive that message that day. So, and this is what good missionaries do. You know, when missionaries yeah. go overseas, they say, do you have water? Do you have food? You know, do you speak the language? Like, you know, we serve people where they're at and then their heart is more open to the spiritual need. And so, um, you know, a, a lot of people think when a woman arrives in an abortion facility, she's got her mind made up. And what we find is that she's either there because she feels like she has no choice, ironically, or she is trying to figure things out. And so it's beautiful to have this understanding with us of filling needs of being there for these women in whatever way they need it. And many of them then will come to reconsider the life of their child if we serve them well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, Often when it comes to marketing, we, we we build a lot of pregnancy clinic websites and our goal is to try and meet the woman where she's at, where she's at, right. the very step that she's at. And if we're trying, if our goal is to have her walk up the flight of stairs, maybe to two more floors higher than where she's at, the goal is to meet her on the current step and then to guide mm. her to the next step and the next step. I mean, if we were to ask her to, you know, take, you know, take a, a, a giant 17 step leap. It's just not going to work, but our goal is to get, you know, down the road up 17 more steps or so on. But in order for someone to to progress there, we have to take care of the need that she has today and then help her with the next step and that, and going in the right direction. But yet, you know, understanding that it takes, you know, time is an element of traveling to a new destination. And so we need to, yeah, so it makes, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's, that's beautiful when it comes to helping someone get out of the burning building before you start talking to them talking to them about you know other things and and trying right. to address their 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 heart and the heartache that they're going through or the the different scenarios that they have because an unplanned pregnancy is usually maybe more of the symptom of about 50 yeah. big problems more so than being the actual cause of yeah anyway so usually there's a lot of uh, roots or previous dominoes that led up to that point which yeah is, Absolutely. Yeah. And we get so much further by acknowledging just where she's at, meeting her where she's at. And really it's about loving her into a decision for life. And the great news is we don't have to leave behind what we know to be true about abortion. We don't have to leave behind what we know to be good, right, and true, right? Mm -hmm. It just is a matter of understanding our audience. And that's what love does. Love begs us to understand our audience and to meet the person we're serving where they're at. And then we get the opportunity to really love them into a different place. And and that's how we see ourselves as sidewalk advocates is a gateway to these life affirming resources and an opportunity to really serve somebody who's in, who's in crisis mode at that moment. Yeah. How did God draw you into this work of, of working with sidewalk advocates? Like what was, what's your, what's the backstory for, for you to, um, to find yourself on this journey? Yeah. Wow. That's, that is a question. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm a, in a nutshell, I'm an attorney who ended up in grassroots pro-life work. And I thank God for that every day, much more interesting than practicing law, even though I've got people who are friends, colleagues who are much smarter than me that are working on the legal end of this. And I'm so deeply appreciative, even though no doubt God uses my law degree, uh, gosh, every other day. Right. Um, So I started out as just a prayer volunteer and a sidewalk counselor in college. So I started doing this when I was a teenager um, and I used to pray and reach out in front of former Planned Parenthood director, Abby Johnson's abortion facility. And I really got, what's that? In Austin, Texas? 
So it was actually in Bryan College Station, Texas, the home of Texas A&M oh, University, okay. right? That's where she started. Of course, now she's gone on to her and her family live in Austin. Oh, okay. um, so, you know, I think at first it just felt like this pull, like the life issue felt like a magnet to me. It hit me that this was the one right life was the one gift from which all other rights flowed. So of course we should be working on this. I mean, there is an understanding here that this is the greatest human rights issue of our times. And so when we were just invited to pray one hour a week in front of this abortion facility, you know, some of us to get trained as sidewalk counselors, learning how to talk to the women who were going in, I thought, well, I could do that, right? Like I could go ahead and contribute some time while I'm getting my degree. And, you know, it used to be such an earnest prayer of mine, like, how do we really reach these women? I'd gotten some good training, but there was a lot of odd things that were going on on the sidewalk before this thing called 40 days for life showed up. If your listeners are familiar with the 40 days for life prayer campaign, right? This is the place that birthed the very first 40 days for life. And so I watched how the atmosphere kind of was disorganized and apprehensive and chaotic. And then thanks to that prayer campaign became very peaceful, prayerful, and what I call purposeful. And it was sometime after that, that Abby actually you know, witnessed an ultrasound guided abortion uh, within the walls of her facility, saw a baby fight and struggle for his life against the abortion instrument. And because her experience, you know, they've been building a relationship with her on the sidewalk, right? So this is when I went on to law school, the very end of this. Um, but she, um, you know, when, when it was clear to her that she was a part of something so terrible and dark, she knew that she could go to the people on the sidewalk. Um, so it really was peace, prayer, and love that won her out of the abortion facility, out of the industry. Um, and I also noticed on the sidewalk that women were coming to the fence to talk, whereas they didn't really want to talk to us as much before because of a whole bunch of different odd things going on on the sidewalk. When the focus became prayer and peaceful outreach, that really transformed the atmosphere. Women felt more safe coming to the fence. And so I thought, wow, this is a this is a prayer answered. I still didn't get the memo that maybe I was called to this work full time. Uh, I went on to law school thinking I would be legal counsel for a pro-life organization. And then soon after I graduated at the height of the financial crisis in 2009, and uh, I was invited in the meantime to join the 40 Days for Life national team. So I advised their campaigns for over two years, uh, spiritually, strategically, even got the first blush at things legally. And at one point saw a need and felt the call to start Sidewalk Advocates for Life that just as 40 Days for Life had, you know, kind of this ready-made plug and play program, so to speak, for individuals who wanted to build a prayer campaign in front of their local abortion facility, of course, seeing all of this incredible fruit, you know, including Abby's conversion, Abby's change of heart, right, uh, as a result, um, I thought, what if we could have a ready-made program for sidewalk counselors, for people who wanted to reach out peacefully and lovingly with their words and offer these resources? And so here we are eight years later, um, we still uh, buddy up with 40 Days for Life. We share a lot of uh, our sites, the prayer, and then the peaceful outreach is just a winning combination. We have a lot of sites that they cover that we don't. We have a lot of sites that, that you know, vice versa, right? We have that they don't, but we're always kind of tag teaming with each other and giving each other a shout out. Prayer and peaceful outreach is just such an, an amazing combination. It bears such fruit when done well. Can you describe what peaceful outreach looks like? Um, like what what is that um, 
when it comes to signage, when it comes to posture, when it comes to someone's voice on the sidewalk, what does peaceful protest, I mean, peaceful outreach, oh, sorry, peaceful outreach look like? Yeah, so it really is just a matter of being that friend next door with help and hope. So, you know, something I say on the sidewalk is, hi there, I'm Lauren, I'm referring to our women's center down the road, which would be, you know, the pregnancy center. And I'd say, you know, we've got free pregnancy tests, free sonogram, free options, counseling, and then asking her if she's in need of those services. And we're getting women who literally are turning around at the abortion facility within 15 seconds with just that free offer of help. Of course, I know, you know, and she will soon know what a blessing it is to be able to have the bigger conversation within the walls of a life affirming pregnancy center. They're not going to pressure her to have an abortion. They really will tell her the risks and the truth about abortion, as well as, you know, explain the options of parenting or adoption, right? Um, now, some women will need a little bit more conversation besides just that those free offer of services. So I might ask, you know, what is it that brings you here today, hun? Is it finances? Is it family? You know, kind of trying to get to the root of why she's there. Because again, as I explained earlier, there's usually a reason or a set of reasons that brings her to the abortion facility. If we can fill those needs, then her heart is more open to reconsidering the life of her child. Um, so, you know, it's ask and listen, and then it's solve the problem or fill the need is another way to put that. So she says, well, mom and dad are going to kick me out of the house. I have nowhere to go. Then we can bring up news of, for example, the maternity home in town, right? So this is so important for sidewalk advocates to have, you know, some of these resources, at least knowledge of these resources at their fingertips so they can offer them. And then our last step, so this is the five-point method, right? So step number five is empower her to leave. So again, it's smile and greet and love, give literature and explain the help ask and listen, solve the need. And then the very last step is empower her to leave. So we never end a conversation without an invitation to the local pregnancy resource center. So it really is as simple as that, you know, why is she there? Fill those needs, love her, serve her. Um, when the bulk of the conversation happens in that step four, solving the problem, we can, that's where we can also bring in knowledge of, you know, her baby's development. We can plant seeds for faith. But again, I'll tell you, sometimes when you just offer these free services and you offer to fill these needs, women will start crying on you right away. They will say, wow, I didn't know this help was available. And then our, you know, big thing is just getting her, you know, doing that professional handoff to the pregnancy center where, you know, some of those bigger conversations can happen in a naturally more relaxed setting. Wow, that is awesome. And that's, and I love your, the progression, you know, just, you know, it, it feels complete. Like it feels like a really mm -hmm. good plan. And, and that seems to reflect, wow, 18,000 people. Yeah, and, you know, participating in that experience in a positive way, like that's 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 amazing. Yeah. Um, so reflecting on these these amazing stories, um, can you share a story that reflects God's fingerprints or amazing mm -hmm. care? Um, you know, while ministering from ministering from the sidewalk. Yeah, well, to you know, to us, every story really is a miracle in and of itself. But I'll I'll share a couple of stories that stand out. One really shows the power of prayer, and another one shows the power of prayer in combination with peaceful, loving outreach. So I remember being out on the sidewalk one day in Dallas when 
this young woman and her friend pull into a parking spot. They were actually kind of backing into a parking spot right in front of me. And I remember just very quietly raising my hands in prayer. You know, I didn't want to draw a lot of attention to myself. I didn't want to freak them out, but I just raised my hands in prayer and I prayed so earnestly over that car. Remember they got out and I called out to them to offer them free help and services, resources. And, you know, they maybe looked over their shoulder at me, but they really didn't respond to what I said. And they went into the abortion facility. And I literally had the thought, wow, I prayed so hard. I really expected something to happen there, right? Well, my attention was kind of um, moved to another couple on the sidewalk. So I had started to talk to them. And then my partner suddenly calls out to me and says, Lauren, look. And I look towards the front door and I see these two women walking out. They had only been in the facility, maybe a few minutes and they're walking back towards the car. And I called out and I said, ladies, are you okay? Can I help you with anything? And the friend says, we don't know what happened. She just walked inside and it's like, she was gobsmacked. She couldn't do it. (laughs) I remember thinking to myself, wow, like that really (laughs) is the power of prayer. Like I barely said anything to these women. Of course, what I said to them was very loving and it was an invitation to talk. But I mean, that really is evidence right there of the power of prayer. I mean, these women got back in the car. I, I, I even said to them, you know, can I give you a hug? Can I celebrate this with you, right? And the one woman just almost was so overwhelmed by her the change in her heart that she she could barely look at me. It's like she was in this whirlwind of what just happened and they got back in the car and and they left. So that was that was a one of many testaments to the power of prayer for me. Uh, Another story I'll share. So this is actually the time that I got to hold my very first baby saved through the ministry of Sidewalk Advocates for Life. I've been praying for a long time. You know, Lord, it'd be so great if I could hold a baby that was actually saved through the ministry. But hey, that's okay. You know, if it doesn't happen, I understand, you know, that's not my priority. And so anyways, um, I was out on the sidewalk one day with two members of our national team in Tampa, Florida. And we were reaching out to those going in. And I remember reaching out to uh, this one young woman. She was there with her sister and with her boyfriend. And they didn't stop to take our offer of help at the driveway. So again, a lot of people don't realize usually a driveway, 99% of the time is on public right-of-way. Usually we'll station someone there and then we station someone at the fence as a catch-all. And so I was, you know, at the fence, drew them into conversation and, you know, found out that this was baby number three for her, that she'd had two precious little girls from a previous relationship. She was in a relationship with this young man. Her sister was there with her and she was just really struggling. They were really struggling about what to do. So I offer all of the help next door at the Pregnancy Resource Center And, you know, really try to humanize this child, reminding them that this is going to be a brother or sister for, you know, the two little girls. And I just felt very prompted. I really believe this was the Holy Spirit just to kind of throw this out there. I said, what if this is your boy? What if this is your boy? Like, I don't usually say things like that, but I felt really kind of pulled to just put it out there. You know, this may be the little boy that you have hoped for. Right. And her sister even said, see, that's what I said to her. Right. Um, and I, I still remember saying to them one other thing before they went inside. Um, I said, just remember, because she'd said to me, well, I think I need to go in and hear what they have to say. And I said, okay, but just remember, they're going to treat you like a dollar sign. We care about what actually happens to you after this inside 
they're going to take your money and then you have to live with the consequences of this, right? And the pain. And I want to save you from that today, right? So I'm reiterating our, our help-oriented message. So they decided to go inside the abortion facility. And what was so interesting is they said that as soon as they got to the front desk, it was all about money. In fact, they wanted them to not even hand over a credit card to, if possible, pay in cash, seemingly under the table. Um, she said as they were getting ready to pay for the abortion, they were standing there and everything everything that we'd said to them on the sidewalk was starting to hit them, uh, what they were about to do, how they were about to take the life of their child. And uh, both the father of the baby boyfriend, right, and her started to cry. And I remember out on the sidewalk, we had the thought, like, we don't know what else we could have said. Um, and we were like, it's time to pray. So we had circled up to pray for them. And we hadn't even said the word amen, and they were coming out. And uh, so I, I remember looking at them as they're coming out and I said, are you ready to accept our offer of help? And she said, yeah, yeah, we are. And so we walked them next door. Well, the gift bag that we had given them with some goodies, and again, it has resources in it and literature, um, it had my phone number in it. So she got a hold of me a number of weeks later and said, I found out that I'm having a boy. We're going to name him Cameron. Um, so long story short, even a couple of months after that, we were able to throw them a baby shower. And then uh, sometime after that, we were actually able to meet Cameron in person. And we did a little photo shoot with him and his family. Uh, in fact, uh, their picture is in our um, unexpected pregnancy literature that we hand out all over the nation. So we are still in touch with these beautiful parents, the family, uh, baby Cameron. Uh, so they ended up getting married and they had another little girl after that. And he uh, went on to serve our, our country in the U.S. Army. Um, and they just got stationed overseas. And so anyways, just another wonderful victory story. You know, I think the one of the biggest lessons from that is to maintain your peaceful, prayerful, loving disposition, because you know, a lot of people do need to go in and experience the darkness of an abortion facility. And if you've done your job and being loving and being a light out on the sidewalk, they'll feel that contrast and they want to be back out on the sidewalk with you. I mean, I think it's at least a third of the women that I've personally witnessed turn around have had to go into the abortion facility and experience that darkness. Um, and then, you know, they wanted to be back out on the sidewalk with us. So, yeah, so first time I ever got to hold a Sidewalk Advocates for Life baby, and it was one that I was directly involved with, which makes me think that God has a sense of humor. So, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, that is awesome. Um, and I love how there was a photo shoot involved. Like, that's such a, that's a, that's a gift. It's a gift to, um, to the parents. The family. And yep. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, and it's also a gift to to those who are supporting, praying, and volunteering as a way of saying, you know, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate a new birthday, yeah. a new child, a new person. Um, yeah. That's, that's really good. Absolutely. Um, did you have another story that you wanted to share on God's fingerprints or oh. anything that else comes to mind? I'll share one more story. So this is actually the second turnaround that I ever experienced. It was back in 2006. Um, this was a 17-year-old gal who arrived at a Dallas abortion facility with her mom, so it'd be the grandmother of the baby, and um, they literally had started praying out loud. So these were believers who, you know, really had been deceived by the culture, thinking that this was a viable option potentially for them in their moment of crisis. And so they literally uh, prayed out loud, and they said, God, we don't know which way to turn 
Um, please show us a sign, show us what we're supposed to do. And they said that as soon as they prayed that prayer, that someone came and, and waved at them just outside the window. And that was me, the sidewalk counselor. Right. And so, um, you know, I started in and said, you know, I don't know what's going on with you guys. I'm Lauren. I'm here with our women's center next door. I let them know about all of the help available. You know, she was overwhelmed because she was 17. She was getting ready to graduate. They barely had anything at home. You know, this was a single mom that was trying to support her daughter who was now pregnant and then had two other brothers besides. Um, and so they were just overwhelmed as a family, like, how can we bring a baby into all of this? And so I just try to paint a picture about how they could do it and how they could make it work and, you know, all the help available at the pregnancy center. And I still remember at one point, she literally throws the car door open, jumps out, throws her arms around my neck and says, okay, let's go get a sonogram. I mean, it was probably one wow. of the most powerful moments of my entire life. And still remember walking them upstairs. And I mean, they felt gobsmacked by the Holy spirit that God had answered their prayer in such a powerful way. And when they were doing the counseling intake with the pregnancy center, the counselor said that she could hear laughing, like as they watched the video and as there was follow-up, you know, why were these ladies laughing so much? And what they came to find out is they said that they were so relieved that someone had helped them to see how they could do this. Like they were laughing as stress was rolling off of their shoulders. Right. So anyways, we kept in touch. That was the summer before I went to law school and I still remember around Christmas getting a picture in my inbox and it was baby Jayla. She was born just a day after Christmas, um, December 27th. She's now 16 years old, approximately wow. 16 years old. Um, and I've met her. I actually did get to meet her um, just before actually starting Sidewalk Advocates for Life. And uh, I'm kind of like the godmother in the family, uh, in the background. She said someday she will tell Jayla, you know, the role that I played in her life, but she's of course waiting for the right time. It's hard to explain to a child what that journey is like, right? So when she's a little bit older, she's going to tell her uh, how I came into their lives and, and changed some things. So it's a blessing. Yeah. So, so while, while people are on the sidewalk, what does their prayer support situation look like? Are people that are talking to, you know, the people driving up or walking in, are they praying for each other? Do you, does everyone have like the same role of prayer plus engaging or are there certain people who do prayer only? What's the prayer yeah. support look like? Great question. So we always tell sidewalk advocates never to go out alone, first of all, right? You need that support in many different ways. If nothing else, you need an eyewitness, right? But prayer mm -hmm. absolutely is that foundation, that strength by which we can reach out and um, navigate any situation well on the sidewalk. So prayer is the foundation. Uh, we know that with God, all things are possible. And apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So prayer is super important in our, in our ministry. Um, when you're not reaching out to a client, we tell people to be in prayer, right? Pray before you go, pray while you're there, uh, continue to pray for people as you leave the sidewalk. I know there's people that I still pray for years after encountering them on the sidewalk, names and faces that I'll never forget, right? That God knows where they are this side of heaven, but I just continue to lift them up. Um, and really on the sidewalk with your partner, usually we have sidewalk advocates out there in twos. 
Um, one person will approach, the other person will pray, and then they switch off, right? The other person will approach, the other person will pray. We do have a lot of people that feel very called just to prayer ministry. They're prayer volunteers, right? One of the things I also talked about earlier is, you know, that we work uh, at some sites in partnership with 40 Days for Life. And so they send people out there just to pray. And then we're the ones who are trained to reach out with our words, right? So it really is just a winning combination, prayer, peaceful outreach, um, and we find that actually the less people, I mean, we want people reaching out one-on-one. -on -one. We don't want anybody to overwhelm a woman. We don't want a whole group approaching her. One-on-one -on -one conversations are the ideal. Unless, of course, sometimes your partner has maybe a very similar story. Um, you know, maybe you need a, a guy on your team. Like sometimes we go out there with the uh, male sidewalk advocates who are really effective in reaching out to other boyfriends. So maybe I'll back off and let you know, Nate on our national team, jump in and try to reach out to the boyfriend because there's a natural rapport there from man to man, right? So it's really just kind of, you know, who do we have out there? Um, where do we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading? But yeah, one-on-one -on -one conversations go out there two by twos. That's how the Lord sent us out, right? <laughs> to do his work. So so, so speaking of <clears throat> how, how the Spirit leads or how, how the Lord leads, when it comes to praying about what to say, and then, mm. you know, finding the right words. What's that experience like? Yeah. Well, I love the verse in Matthew where it talks about, do not worry about what you are to say or, or how you are to speak. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you, right? And, and that's a whole um, discourse in scripture about someone who is dragged in front of a court of accusers and has to give an account for their innocence. And of course, as we go and advocate for these children and these families, you know, one of the things that I remind sidewalk advocates is how much more will God be, be at the ready to speak through us. And so it really is about being an open vessel as much as possible, turning off that self-monitoring system and just loving the person in front of you. Now, God works through the ordinary, right? So the training that we give people that's so thorough, you know, we've got that compass, which is mom, baby, God. And then we've got our five point method, which I shared earlier. Um, really, you know, when you feel like you're lost, go back to that compass, right? Start with her, love her, um, then transition. How far along are you? Paint a picture of life, you know, and then plant seeds uh, for faith. Now, the other thing we tell people in the training is that the Holy Spirit is the trump card. <laughs> and so, you know, we need to stay open to God saying something through us that maybe we didn't plan, so to speak, to say. Um, I mean, you know, one of the stories that I told about baby Jayla you know, her mom, Lizanne, said that the one thing she remembers on the sidewalk was the word hope, that I said the word hope. And I'm, I've always thought to myself, I don't remember saying that, right? I don't remember using that exact word. Um, not that I wouldn't say that on the sidewalk, but I just didn't remember that from the conversation, but she did. And so it's like, what does that person need to hear? He knows best what they need to hear. And so I just do my best to love the person who's in front of me using these guideposts. Awesome. Um, how would you say, when it, when it comes to volunteers, how, how do Sidewalk Advocates find volunteers? What's the training experience like? And what would you like to say to someone who's thinking, should I volunteer? Like, is it something I should try out? Like, what would you say to someone who is considering or, you know, pondering the idea of volunteering with Sidewalk Advocates? Yeah. 
Well, we let people know, you know, there are three main ways to get plugged into really what is the greatest human rights movement on the sidewalk, right? It's start, join, or give. And starting a location, so that's what that start is, and then join, joining an existing location. Starting a location, what it looks like is, I mean, you go to our website, you click the apply button, five-minute application, and then we do a brief phone consult and ex explain to you how the program works. There's a lot of people who have felt the call to build a team, right, in front of their local abortion or abortion referral facility. And I'll tell you, these abortion referral sites are really important in post-Roe America, especially in abortion-restricted states, right? These are facilities that, of course, aren't doing abortions within their walls because maybe it's illegal in the state, but they're surely referring for them. Most people have an abortion or abortion referral center near them. And so, you know, really where there's a crisis, there's a need, and it could be that you're called to fill that need. Um, so you can look at your local abortion facility. Is there already an existing outreach team there? You know, would, is there interest in your community for building, you know, a presence there through prayer and peaceful outreach? Um, and then there's a lot of people who, because now we've got 239 locations, they already have a, a team near them. And so they could go to our website, sidewalkadvocates.org, click the locations tab, and they can look up the nearest team to them. And uh, each one of our locations uh, has all the materials to facilitate a regular training. A lot of our teams are training about once a quarter, so once every few months. And so you can make contact with your local team and say, hey, when's the next training? Attend. And then once you go through our five-hour basic training and sign our Pledge of Integrity, then you're a certified sidewalk advocate. It really is that simple. And you know, just as I've alluded to, we'll teach you the compass. We'll teach you the map. Um, we even go over how to serve abortion workers, women after abortion, very unique abortion circumstances. So the training is really comprehensive and, you know, people usually feel very equipped to hit the ground running as soon as they go through that training. Awesome. Um, and then the last part was give. Is that essentially just a, a, a way to then support through donations and, and prayer or what's the gift? You know, start, join and give or is right. give actually giving of your time to then volunteer. Which, yeah, which I guess it could define? work both ways, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we basically put that down there, give, meaning you can make a tax deductible donation to our ministry. You know, there's a lot of people who can't get to the sidewalk because of their particular station or vocation in life. I still remember a friend of mine making a $5,000 gift and saying, Lauren, I'm supporting a family. I work really long hours. I can't get to the sidewalk, but this is my way of getting to the sidewalk. And it's every $2,000 that we actually can train, equip, and support a new team of sidewalk advocates across the United States. And so when he said that to me, uh, that never left me. We have so many saints behind the scenes that are giving of their precious treasure to keep our ministry going and growing. So yep, that's also an option as well. Awesome. What is something that a pregnancy clinic director or pregnancy clinic team would need to know about sidewalk care that may not be commonly understood or yeah, like what, what would you like to say to pregnancy clinics um, when it comes to maybe like, are there any false beliefs that are sometimes that have to be overcome or are there any misunderstandings when it comes to pregnancy clinic care and sidewalk advocate care that would be helpful to, yeah, uh, shed yeah. truth on? That's such an important question. Um, I think for the greater part of the history of the pro-life movement, it's felt like 
you know, sidewalk advocates, sidewalk counselors were kind of over here. And then the other direction was pregnancy help centers. And what I can tell you is that um, there's a new springtime of collaboration that we actually see the most life saved when we are working in partnership with one another. We at Sidewalk Advocates for Life see ourselves as the first face of the pregnancy help movement. I mean, pregnancy help centers, all of you who work in pregnancy centers, you are our heroes. You are the front lines of the abortion battle. Um, and we love being able to bring women to you because I will tell you almost no one arrives at the abortion facility having knowledge of how awesome you are. And so we love to be able to stand in that gap and say, we can help you with all of these wonderful things at our local women's center, pregnancy center, right? Um, so, you know, we see ourselves as that sales team for life on your behalf. Um, so we admonish sidewalk advocates to get to know the pregnancy help center in their backyard to form a relationship with them, understand what their services are, because we want to share those out on the sidewalk. I mean, just sharing those resources, sharing what you have as a pregnancy center, it can really turn someone around at the last moment. It can really be um, a pivotal moment for life or death. Yeah, it seems like most, <clears throat> I would say, I think a lot of pregnancy clinics look at the sidewalk advocate work as being a sister organization on the same, on the same mission only maybe in a different um, stage of someone's unplanned pregnancy um, journey. You know, essentially, right. to me, it looks like the sidewalk advocates are reaching someone at the very end of their journey towards an abortion clinic, and a pregnancy clinic might be trying to engage mm -hmm. a few notches earlier, like when they're before they are walking up to the abortion clinic. And so there's yeah, yeah different stages of the same journey that where we're trying to reach women. Um, with, with the same purpose of having them choose life for, yeah. for their child. I am um, so glad you recognize that because really for the greater part of our history in the pro-life movement, it hasn't always been seen as that. And I'm thrilled that there has been a sea change. I like to believe that we've been part of that. We're doing crisis intervention. Pregnancy centers are doing crisis management. And we really are an incredible team when we're working together. And I understand it's important for pregnancy centers to partner with people who share their values. And, you know, on our website, we list all of our core values, which include being peaceful, prayerful, loving, and law-abiding. We actually have a lot of pregnancy centers that are running our program underneath their banner. So they've got a select crop of volunteers that go to the sidewalk, and then they've got some who work in the center, or sometimes they decide that day, okay, this group will go to the sidewalk and this group will be in the center. But either way, you know, we do best when we are working together. Absolutely. Awesome. So when it comes to um, a referral to a pregnancy clinic, what is a pregnancy clinic and your and from your viewpoint allowed to yeah. say about that client um, while maintaining privacy or health, you know, uh, you know, privacy of their health information or what, you know, the, yeah. where they're going, are they able to, if you were to call and say, you know, we sent uh, Jane to your clinic, we just wanted to know, did she arrive or what, what, like, what's the journey look like for trying to get a confirmation of, did she, was she able to arrive or did she get service while still maintaining yeah. like that privacy layer um, over what someone does with, yeah, down the road? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we always defer to the Pregnancy Resource Center, um, Pregnancy Help Center, as far as what their policy is. And we always respect that, you know, because we are going to be doing a handoff and their care and curriculum will take over. Um, we just, you know, we do that handoff and we go back to the sidewalk and our goal is just to bring them the next one and the next one, right? What we have found generally is that it's not violating confidentiality just to say, especially since we were the ones making that connection, hey, Sarah made it, right? She's here. Or um, maybe at the very end, they're able to say, you know, thumbs up, uh, great appointment, or she chose life. Maybe they're able to give some really general information. Um, so we're just very careful to honor whatever it is that the pregnancy center desires. We know that if we can just get her through the doors of the pregnancy center, um, that the statistics, especially if she gets in front of a sonogram, are very high that she's going to choose life. And so in some ways, you know, there's no need for us to continue to follow up. But, um, you know, we might be able to ask a couple of questions that are still respectful of that entire process. Um. When, when it comes to promoting clinics in the area, if it's, mm -hmm. if, if you have a sidewalk advocates group that's not run by a specific pregnancy clinic, do our multiple clinics being referred to um, based on driving distance or where, you know, where someone might live? So if someone's driving, you know, they, maybe they live on the south side, then you might refer to this clinic or if, they, if they're on the east side, you might refer to that clinic. Is that, yeah. how do you decide which clinic to send someone to? Um, you know, when there's several, let's say in the area? Yeah, that is a, another really important question. For us, if we can form a strong relationship with the one nearest, we tend to see more women turn around. So if a woman doesn't have to drive super far, we can walk her next door, across the street, down the street. You know, we, we often say that where we see resources that are free, immediate, and visible, that can be a game changer for life on the sidewalk. Now, sometimes we try to form a relationship with the pregnancy center, but they're short-staffed or, you know, they're struggling to stay open some days that we may be out there and we're able to refer women. So then we'll just go on to the next nearest pregnancy resource center. And this is why I really encourage pregnancy centers to think strategically about trying to put themselves near right next door an abortion or abortion referral facility, because you hmm. will see a lot more people turn around just by proximity, right? Now, there's another interesting question in post-Roe America about how we have a continuum of care when a woman is coming from out of state, you know, she's going to an abortion facility and sure, maybe we get her then to the next nearest facility, the ne next nearest pregnancy center to that abortion facility, right? Um, but where does she go when she's going back home? Like she can't follow up at that pregnancy center. And so, you know, we're letting sidewalk advocates know not just to refer to the one next door, but also the one back home, right? At least mention it. And then the pregnancy center should be trained in post-Roe America to continue that care at a center back where she lives, right? So those are important considerations now in, in post-Roe America as we're seeing women come from out of state for abortions as well. Point. Um, so before, oh, actually, I've got a question on that, but I've got another question based on yeah. something you said earlier before. So, sure. what about mobile mobile ultrasound? Um, you know the uh, the stork machine, you know the stork mobile or the ICU yeah. mobile mobile unit. Um, do you often see those parked next to an abortion clinic, and are those usually the ones you would then walk someone to? 
Yes. Yeah. A mobile unit is a game changer. If we can park a mobile unit right in front of the abortion facility right nearby, we do see more turnarounds, right? Because we're able to legitimize what we're saying. It's not just, hey, this amorphous offer of help that's even just a few miles down the road. It's literally in front of my face. And I can look at that mobile unit and I can see maybe a woman on the side and it lists out those services. And so it's like everything, um, you know, everything dovetails with the other. So we love mobile units where, especially where a pregnancy center can't get right next door or really close to the abortion facility. These are great options. So you've got Save the Storks, um, ICU Mobile, Thrive. You've got uh, Vans for Life, a new group that just came, came out that is also supplying mobile ultrasound units to pregnancy resource centers and beyond. Um, so we've got a few great options that are, that are out there. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to the cost of a pregnancy test or the cost of an ultrasound at a Planned Parenthood or an abortion clinic, mm -hmm. um, do you know what those costs look like sometimes across, you know, maybe they're, I heard one, and this is from several years ago, the Planned Parenthood was charging, I think it was like 13 or $18 for a pregnancy test. Um, yeah. So like, what are, what are the costs involved? And, and then contrasting that with the word free, when it comes to going to that local pregnancy clinic and how much someone can save along with then being on the right path from that point forward. Yeah. Well, there are some Planned Parenthoods that are cluing into the fact that a lot of women are turning around based off of a free pregnancy test. There's some that are trying to shift to that model. And so we're, we're trying to be very diligent in these areas about, mm. you know, rounding out all of the free services that we have available at the pregnancy center, not just the free pregnancy test. Right. Um, now there are, um, there are sites where, in fact, I would say this is the majority right now, where they're asking a woman, so she's walking into the abortion facility, and what they ask her for basically is payment that will cover uh, like a pregnancy test, sonogram, uh, maybe initial blood work to do the abortion. So it's almost like a down payment towards the abortion. It's actually a very clever marketing scheme because they're, they'll say, well, you've already put $150, $275 down towards the abortion, right? You might as well pay the rest and get what you, mm. you were coming here looking for. Um, and so in those cases, what we do is we offer to cover that cost that she's already incurred. So we'll say, well, we oh, can cover good. that for you. Just give us a try at the Pregnancy Resource Center. I mean, it's like, what is a life cost, right? Um, so we tell sidewalk advocates, if you feel a need to offer that and, and she accepts that help, then we'll financially back you up in that. Oh, that's so kind and loving to try and take away that financial hook or try right. and de-hook that financial commitment or, right. or you, know, water, you know, money already spent. And it feels like, yeah, I don't want to lose what I've yeah, feels like there's right. a Right. No, absolutely. I mean, again, it's like, what does a life cost to us? That's a drop in the bucket. And we have replaced a good handful of initial payments. Now, there are some cases where a woman can go back inside and she can demand, you know, money back. Um, but a lot of times they aren't refunding that money. And then we don't want mm. her to go back in there and necessarily yeah. finagle with the abortion facility, right? Because they're trying to rope her into yeah. maybe sticking with the appointment. So it's like, if we can take care of all of that, aside from her having to even go in and ask for that, then we like to do that. So when it comes to the signage that Sidewalk Advocates, use, uh, that your group uses, what does the phrasing look like? Uh, what what kind of words, or do you, what kind of, do you even use signage? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it may not be the highest thing on our priority list, but it's definitely a priority, right? Our first priority is getting ourselves out there, having good literature and materials um, to hand to her. Um, but where we can make time for signage, it can be an incredible um, support to what we're offering on the sidewalk. Um, and definitely I would encourage anybody to make time to, to try to get signage out there. So we like help oriented signage, woman oriented signage. You only have so much time to, um, to give someone a message when they're driving by, right? Or walking up. And so my favorite mm -hmm. sign is free pregnancy test and sonogram. Ask me how, you know, something really, really simple, that free offer of yeah. help you know, cause it right away, it lets her know, like people care, people have resources available. This isn't your only option. It's, there's so much that's being said in that message that, um, is being communicated besides what's actually on the sign. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, when it comes to people, uh, traveling to let, let's say someone travels from Texas to Los Angeles, and they're they're flying in because they want to go to an abortion clinic that's near the LAX airport. Um, and and so, are you experiencing additional? Yeah, you know, what's been your experience with some of these abortion-friendly states, and possibly with commuting traffic or people traveling from other states to a place like that? Has that been? Has there been like an increase in traffic at some of these? Uh, uh, abortion clinics near an airport or abortion clinics near a border of a state? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And it really is so interesting watching the post-row landscape, you know, especially as um, states have allowed their pro-life law to go into effect um, or they're fighting for a pro-life law. It's like watching dominoes move across the board, you know? So for example, when abortion was made illegal in Alabama, almost immediately after uh, the Dobbs case was handed down, we heard that, you know, this, the largest abortion facility in the state, which was in Tuscaloosa, they were referring all of their appointments that they had to cancel to Atlanta, Georgia, to Columbus, Georgia at the border. And so we had to alert sidewalk advocates to prepare for a possible influx of out-of-state women, right? And so this tiny abortion facility in Columbus, Georgia, there were days that they were doing up to 60 abortions at this one facility. Um, now, of course, we know from experience, I can tell you experience on the sidewalk and then what we're hearing that a lot of people keep the laws, their moral compass. There'll be a lot of women that will simply choose life or consider choosing life because it's illegal within their state, but otherwise there will be this population that's amenable to travel, right? So we're kind mm -hmm. of looking at states where, you know, it's going to be a little bit of an abortion destination state. Maybe it's a little bit of a silo in their area. So for example, Illinois in the Midwest, if you pull out a map of post-Row America, you can see it's surrounded by pro-life states now, right? Indiana's pro-life law just went into effect. So this is especially true at this moment. Um, we're hearing about women that are going, for example, to Granite City, Illinois, right on the border, Flossmoor, Illinois. Um, maybe there'll be some that that hop on a plane and go in and out of Chicago, but a lot of them are driving if it's not too far of a drive, right? And so we're just, you know, letting sidewalk advocates know to be especially ready to refer to a pregnancy center back home to be able to look up some of these resources available in other communities. 
Um, New Mexico is really interesting. We heard about, you know, in the next several weeks, there's going to be 16 new abortion facilities. Our leader of Borderland, Texas, New Mexico, of course, it's illegal in Texas. It's very legal in New Mexico, right? There's new facilities going up in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Albuquerque. Um, and so, you know, they're saying to us, hey, please tell people back home in abortion restricted states to get to the abortion referral facilities and try to make that offer of help early before women make a big commitment to traveling across state lines and getting an abortion. So it really is very interesting. We're looking at these states that, you know, maybe the first place that women will go if abortion is illegal in their state, and then how can we best serve them and help them to reconsider the life of their child? Mm, that's yeah. It's, there's a lot of things to consider. That's it's interesting mm -hmm. to see how how it's playing out. And in in yeah, it's 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 a lot to consider. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. When, so when it comes to praying for abortion workers, praying for praying at the edge of an abortion clinic, and then taking the idea, you know, uh, to, to essentially to love your enemies or to pray mm -hmm. for your enemies or to pray for the people to, well, for, yeah, essentially, what is, you know, that's a hard thing to do. And yeah. how do you, how do you, uh, what's been your experience in emotional state trying to navigate that on a regular basis? Because uh, yeah. um, it feels very taxing <laughs> emotionally to, to love your enemies. I mean, Jesus is a great example of loving enemies, but it also sometimes feels like one of the hardest things to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just remember that every eternal soul who crosses my path at the abortion facility has a story. And even if they are so-called on the other side, you know, they're on the other side of the fence, or maybe I'm angry watching boyfriend drag, you know, that young woman in there. Of course, there's legal things that we can do to protect her and, and all of that. So accepting that, I mean, the idea is, you know, someone that I'm tempted to be very angry at when it, when I'm at the abortion facility, I remember that I have everything that I have because of grace. Um, and they're not the real enemy. We know who the real enemy is. They've been deceived by the enemy. Uh, there's been so many people who are a part of our ministry now that have experienced abortion one or multiple times, you know, what God has done in their life is now their glory story. I remember one woman that I used to sidewalk counsel, with in Dallas, uh, she had four abortions in her past. Another woman that I worked with in 40 Days for Life, seven abortions in her past, right? And now look at what God was doing through her at that moment. And for the woman who doesn't choose life that day, I remember that God is not done with her yet. He's not done with her story. He loves her and will continue to pursue her. And I want to be uh, a positive memory in her journey. I want her to remember that a Christian was standing there for her that day in a spirit of peace, prayer, and love. And that may get her onto the road of hope and healing, just maybe remembering me or something that was said, right? And then for the abortion worker, now when you see over 600 workers who have left the industry simply with an offer of help and visiting with so many of these people at the Pro-Life Women's Conference who, you know, come after having left the industry and I mean, it's just amazing what God is doing, you know, and it, it, it really comes through perseverance and prayer, perseverance and loving them, remembering that like God isn't done with them yet either. And I can be an important part of their journey if I'll maintain my peaceful, prayerful disposition. Wow. Well, your story is so amazing. And it's just beautiful to see how 
Yeah, just to see the heart of kindness and and you know mm -hmm. in a confrontational space, but the high, the heart of kindness and a desire to be yeah provide care and love, um, with with the goal of helping someone who is yeah who is being deceived, who is uh, being used, and uh, and so that's just beautiful. Yeah. Um, would you would you uh, wrap up our podcast with a prayer for a prayer for sidewalk advocates who are listening and maybe also for Princeton mm -hmm. Clinic uh, leaders who might be listening? I would love to. It'd be a great honor. So let's pray together. Father, I come to you in the, in the name of Jesus, and I thank you so much for every eternal soul that you have called to listen to this, that you've called to be part of what is the greatest human rights movement on earth your movement, Lord, your movement towards the greatest gift that you've given us apart from Jesus himself, and that is the gift of life. I just ask God that you would bless the work of everyone's hands who is listening to this and part of this work. And for those who are discerning their role in this movement, just that you would inspire them with the way in which they should go. Um, for those who are weary right now, who are maybe struggling, um, feeling so much as they continue to work in the pregnancy help centers, the pregnancy help movement, please just give them a renewed strength. Um, Lord, you tell us that you will give us wisdom in spades, that, that we will soar like eagles if we turn to you, God. And so where we just have drooping hands and shaky knees, I just pray that you would enforce us, um, help us, bless us, help us just to continue this great work that you've given us and loving the next person in front of us. For those who are out on the sidewalk, that you would continue just to bless their message, their literature, their signage, their just everything that they have going on on the sidewalk, God, that it would work together for your glory and reaching more hearts and minds. Um, and Lord, for the other parts of this movement, maybe that we don't directly work in um, for the educational opportunities, the legislative advocacy, especially right now in a post-Roe America, we ask that you bless their efforts. Um, and even for the things that don't come to mind right now, God, for anybody who's contributing to this work in some way that you would continue to bless their path forward. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can be a small part of what you are doing to end abortion, to save lives, to transform hearts and souls. Um, we submit all of this to you and lift it up in Jesus name. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Wow. It's been a pleasure, Lauren, to talk to you. And I'm really glad I get the chance to share this with my podcast audience. And I think it's going to be a real blessing for them to hear your story and your outlook. And so thank you for, for being on here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure.
Come 